Please pray with me. Everlasting God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations upon all of our hearts serve to glorify you. And may they be in keeping with the teachings of our Savior, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. As a distinguished rabbi was preaching to his congregation, he told them, I want you all to read the 28th chapter of Leviticus next week as it ties into next week's sermon, and I think you'll find it helpful. The following week, he asked everyone gathered for worship if they had read the assigned chapter, and most of them raised their hands. I see, he replied. That's very interesting, as there is no 28th chapter of Leviticus, but thank you all for providing such an excellent illustration for this sermon about the sin of dishonesty. If you ask someone, just about anyone, what their favorite book in the Bible is, almost no one would say that it's Leviticus. It's not what you'd call a page turner. Most folks haven't even read it, which is the whole point of the joke. And I can hardly blame them. It is a dense Byzantine legal document that's filled with bizarre laws about menstrual blood and livestock and rife with talk about stoning people to death. It reads like those terms and conditions that you always have to sign off on but never actually look at. And while our Jewish friends, especially Orthodox Jews, still practice many of the laws and rituals described here, most Christians do not. Evangelical Christians, though they often quote bits and pieces of it, will tell you that Jesus fulfills the ancient laws that are prescribed in its pages, rendering most of it obsolete. More socially and theologically progressive folks might bristle at the inherent misogyny and the explicit condemnation of homosexuality in the book, with its tired assertion that any man who lies with another man shall be stoned. We nearly named our youngest son, Levi, Leviticus, but we went with Leviathan instead because the book has such a bad reputation. And I didn't want him to get bullied at school by all of the children of those pastors and Bible professors that go to school in Wheaton. You know how cruel kids can be, especially when they're proof texting Leviticus. And so you may be wondering why our fall sermon series focuses on a single obscure chapter of a book that many Protestants find to be boring, outdated, and at worst, deeply offensive. Well, it's because buried beneath all of that technical legal jargon of the 25th chapter of Leviticus is a beautiful idea that deserves our attention. And you shall hallow the 50th year, and you shall proclaim liberty throughout the land to all its inhabitants. It shall be a jubilee for you. A jubilee. After seven cycles of seven years, in honor of the seventh day that God rested after the act of creation, plus another seven months, just for good measure, the ancient Israelites were called to celebrate the Jubilee. Now, the Jubilee was essentially a wiping of the social and cultural slate. And what better time than now? 
when the whole world has been turned upside down by a global pandemic and we've been forced to reconsider everything that we once thought we knew. What better time could there be to imagine a new world to begin again as the Israelite people did every 50 years? The Jubilee was a hard reset of their society accomplished by three massive shifts in public policy. The first of these was a year-long Sabbath, particularly in regards to agriculture. Nothing new was supposed to be planted or harvested, which probably sounds a bit familiar after six months of relative quarantine. During Jubilee, the gears of industry ground to a halt for a whole year so that the soil and the people who lived off of it could rest and restore themselves. The second, perhaps even more radical, was the forgiveness of all debts. Leviticus describes this in terms of real estate and land holdings, and it's actually more akin to the fulfillment of debt than the erasure of it. But there's a broader message here about economic justice and the fair distribution of wealth. What appears to be real estate law on its surface is actually a call for a different kind of equity. Now the third, which also had broad economic implications, was the liberation of slaves, specifically indentured servants who'd been forced to sell themselves into servitude. And as our nation faces a long overdue reckoning with systemic racism and oppression, this principle seems especially timely. The Jubilee revolved around these three radical ideas, restoration of the earth and its people, economic justice, and social equality. When you put it that way, it sounds like a more progressive agenda than you would expect to find in Leviticus of all places. But if I can take politics out of the equation, if indeed such a thing is possible anymore, the Jubilee is a call to think outside of the box and envision a new way of doing things like we've never done them before. To find a path forward that transcends old paradigms and expectations. It's a once in a lifetime chance to start over. And today, as our church celebrates a new program year in the midst of a radically changed world, that is precisely where we find ourselves, out there on the precipice of something new. It's worth noting as we try to reimagine the Jubilee for our own time that we aren't the first ones to do so. Back in the year 1299, Pope Boniface the eighth had a similar idea. Rumors had begun swirling around Rome that autumn that if you visited St. Peter's Basilica at midnight on the last day of the year, all of your sins would be forgiven. And in those days, when the church was selling indulgences for hefty sums, well, this was like having a fire sale at Walmart on the day after Thanksgiving. There was only one problem. The church had never authorized it, and the Pope was scrambling to find out how all of this nonsense had started. 
Now, around the same time, as folks from nearby regions were swarming into the city to claim their free indulgence, Boniface entertained an elderly pilgrim who claimed to be 107 years old. Now, that was no small feat in the 13th century when you drank beer for breakfast and your career prospects were limited to being either a dirt farmer or a rat catcher. And when your doctor was also your barber, which was good because your hair was probably also filled with lice. But somehow, this guy had survived for over a century and he remembered celebrating a jubilee in Rome with his father in the year 1200. And explained all of this to the Pope and he assured him that this was a celebrated tradition that was practiced every hundred years. But if that was true, then how come the Pope had never heard of it? Well, Boniface VIII was not the most religious of popes. Regarding the orthodox belief that the dead would rise like Jesus at the day of judgment, he sarcastically claimed, the dead will rise just like my little horse who died yesterday. But he knew a good opportunity when he saw one. The Jubilee would be a real feather in his cap, and the tourist income from half a million pilgrims would be a great boon to the church. And so he issued a proclamation that the year 1300 would be a year of Jubilee when anyone who made the pilgrimage to Rome that year would be granted a plenary indulgence, that is, a wiping out of all sin and a one-way ticket to the pearly gates. Of course, there were still the usual terms and conditions that most people didn't bother to read. You had to spend at least 15 days in both St. Peter and St. Paul's basilicas, respectively, and you also had to make a sincere confession before a priest, but most of the pilgrims just came for the party. The pilgrims that year numbered in the hundreds of thousands traveling all across the known world to be there. And those who attended remarked that it was a beautiful celebration of faith in spite of the dangerous overcrowding. The medieval historian William Ventura, who had come to Rome for the Jubilee, remarked, again and again, I saw men and women trodden underfoot in the press. And I myself was often hard put to it to escape the same fate. It would be a fine thing and agreeable to every true Christian to repeat the festival every centennial year. It almost makes it sound like Woodstock or Burning Man, a far cry from the original festival that was declared in Leviticus, which was defined more by social and economic transformation. But the spirit of the thing, namely a once-in-a-lifetime chance to start over and wipe the slate clean, the spirit of Jubilee remained. And now we have an opportunity, too, to celebrate a Jubilee of our own, once again reimagining it for our own time. I only wish we could throw a party, but maybe we can find other ways to celebrate. Some of those medieval pilgrims walked hundreds of miles to get to Rome. 
But when I signed up to participate in the annual PADS Run for Home fundraiser this month, I was determined to run. For years, PADS has sponsored the Run for Home race to raise money for the homeless folks in our community. And our church has always been involved. And last year, we even won an award for the most participation from a single congregation. But I was not there. No way. Under normal circumstances, I would not be caught dead running a 5K. I never even ran the mile in gym class, opting to walk instead, which was still better than my older brother who would duck behind a nearby equipment shed when the gym teacher wasn't looking and emerge 10 minutes later onto the track pretending to be out of breath. And in any case, the idea of running in front of other people brought back too many bad memories from my ill-advised stint on the high school track team, where I came in dead last every race and eventually switched from sprinting to the javelin toss, but found that I couldn't even throw the thing more than 10 feet and eventually got a doctor's note to quit the team after I got a case of bronchitis, which was my only saving grace because my mother had bought me an expensive pair of shoes when I joined the team and I didn't want to let her down. Look, it's complicated. Suffice it to say, when I learned that you could run on your own this year and that there was a 1K option, I finally decided to do it. New circumstances prevent, presented me with a new opportunity. And we all have a new opportunity this year to try something new or to do something familiar in a new way that transcends old paradigms and expectations. Look, when this pandemic started, we thought there was no way that we'd be able to do vacation Bible school or confirmation or sing with the choir remotely. There's no way. Most of us on the staff had no idea how to produce videos or do half of the other things that we've had to learn how to do this year. And I'm sure that a lot of you who are involved in various ministries are also wondering if there's any way that you can continue in these circumstances. But you know what? We found a way to do all that stuff. We got creative, we figured it out. And I believe that you can too. With a little creativity, I think that you can find a way. Over the next few weeks, we'll be looking at the ways in which the biblical aspects of Jubilee speak to us in our own time restoration, economic justice, and social equality. But today, as we look at the big picture and we try to get a handle on what Jubilee is, I invite you to live into the spirit of it and consider how you, how we can be the church together in new ways this year. And maybe we can't do much in person together just yet because this pandemic is still raging and it may yet get worse before it gets better. And we need to be safe and we need to be smart. But that doesn't mean that we can't find creative ways to move forward. It doesn't mean that Onward House can't happen this year or our Bridge family mentors can't stay engaged. It doesn't mean that we can't sponsor a refugee family like we hope to, or that the kitchen chicks can't bake delicious treats like the ones that we're giving away this weekend in the parking lot and delivering to your homes. 
It doesn't mean that the environmental ministry can't keep working on climate change issues or that the Stephen ministers can't care for people. It doesn't mean that we can't work with pads to find creative new ways to care for the homeless folks in our community. And it doesn't mean that we can't do something entirely new. It probably does mean that the dishwashing ministry is on hold for a while though, but I don't think they're gonna to be too broken up about that. Friends, let this be a year of Jubilee, a once in a lifetime opportunity to be wildly creative, radically different and defiant in the face of circumstances that dare to tell a bunch of congregationalists what cannot be done. I wish we were all here together today in this sanctuary, I do. But as the Apostle Paul once said, we must run the race that has been set before us. It may not be the race that we've chosen, but by God, we are going to run. Amen.